Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rupa Subramanya Show. A very Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Hanukkah um, to everyone celebrating, and I hope you have a great New Year and that uh, it starts off on a good note. And I'm really excited about 2023. I, um, I hope it's uh, a little less crazy than 2022, to be honest with you. Now, speaking of 2022, as it winds down, I want to reflect on what I think is by far was by far the most important news event uh, in Canada and, uh, and a very important event even in the world um, and this past year. And I'm, of course, referring to the Freedom Convoy protests, which took place right here in Ottawa, steps away from where I live. Uh, the Freedom Convoy, as you know, came to Ottawa to, pro to protest uh, pandemic restrictions uh, such as lockdowns, uh, mass mandates and vaccine mandates. Um, it uh, came here at the end of January and lasted for about three weeks till about the middle of February. Um, and uh, a lot of people felt that the Freedom Convoy protests, uh, 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 you know, brought with it a sense of hope and vitality. Um, and, uh, and especially for those who had been adversely affected uh, by pandemic measures, such as the vaccine, the federal vaccine mandates and, uh, and the mass mandates, of course. Now, as we all know, this peaceful civil disobedience, which is what it was, uh, was brutally suppressed by the Trudeau government under the guise of the Emergencies Act. Many of you will know that I reported quite extensively on the protests in real time. I was there every day, morning till late in the evening, uh, spoke to many people uh, over the course of those three weeks. And I also got to know a lot of people involved. I made a lot of friends. Some of them are very dear to me. Um, and, uh, and my guest today was literally uh, one of the key faces of the protests um, and has uh, recently come out with a book about the protests called Honking for Freedom, the Trucker Convoy that Gave Us Hope. I am talking about Benjamin Dichter, who joins me today. Uh, he really needs no introduction, but if you haven't, uh, do check out his new book, uh, which has a wonderful uh, foreword by uh, Jordan Peterson. Hi, Ben. It's great to have you on the show at long last. Uh, welcome to the show. It's uh, really hard to believe that it was just this past winter when we first met uh, at that first ever press conference that uh, you and your fellow organizers of the Freedom Convoy uh, protests um, gave in the Swiss Hotel uh, in downtown Ottawa. Uh, in many ways, I'd say that you were the face uh, and the voice of the protests at that time. A lot has happened since then, including, I believe, some distancing between yourself and some of the other original organizers of the convoy. Um, I wonder if you could reflect on uh, what took place here in Ottawa and how things have evolved since then. Uh, yeah, the only thing I would uh, I would characterize differently, I don't think there's distance between myself and other members of the convoy. Okay. If anything, we're more, uh, we've become closer than anything, myself and Chad and Bridget and Chris Guerra. We've okay. all kind of found each other. A number of the truckers who I never got the chance to meet uh, during the convoy, we've all kind of found each other and started talking. So the exact opposite. The only thing that there's been a rift is between myself and my former uh, legal representative that I've, I've replaced them with. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the organizers, two of the organizers are somewhat, in my opinion, captured by that organization. But the rest of us are all on the same um, on the same team and still concerned about many of the different uh, many of the same issues that we faced in the past we're worried about we want to make sure this doesn't happen again yeah um but uh so that's that's kind of the frame that i look at because i talk to them frequently you know yeah. at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hearkening back to uh, the convoy itself, uh, where do you want to start? There's, there's so much <laughs> that's gone I, on. I mean, I, I know, being on with I know. Russell Brand this week, who would have I, thought that would happen? Well, yeah, I mean, my life has also changed because of the protests. Yours has, uh, I think, pretty much everybody, even for, even for the protesters. I mean, it was, um, you know, one of those events that just, uh, you never saw it, you, you didn't see it coming, but when it happened, it was incredible. Just one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Uh, but yeah, I mean, where do we begin? Like, I remember meeting you at the Swiss Hotel and you were a little apprehensive about a mainstream media journalist being in the room. <laughs> no, 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 whoa, 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 no. I, I specifically asked, maybe you don't know this. Okay. I called Anthony Fury, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Anthony Fury, yeah, who, who who is now with True North. That's right. So I called yes. him, Yeah. Uh, me and Tom called him and said, listen, because I said, I want to at least try yeah. to get somebody affiliated with legacy media who is credible and honest. Mm-hmm. So we called Anthony and we we're going through a couple of, he's listing a couple of names. And then he said, uh, you know, who'd be good. A uh, mm-hmm. would be good. She's in Ottawa and she's an honest actor. She's not going to, you yeah. know, pull, promulgate a narrative if it's false. Right. And uh, I said, okay. And got your email address and I sent you an email. So I actually wanted you. That's uh, right. Right. My bad. And at that My point, bad. I think you were writing for it was for the National Post. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I still am. I mean, I'm still a freelancer for them. But uh, yeah, no, actually, you're absolutely right. I think I'm uh, mixing you up with uh, s- several of the other people who were at the Swiss Hotel. And they were a little apprehensive, I think, about, uh, um, you know, legacy media journalists being in the room. But yes, I absolutely remember Anthony Fury emailing me and uh, saying there's this press conference. Please go to it if you can. And I'm glad I did because um I thought that was a very important um uh event in in you know in, in helping set sort of this you know narrative your own narrative right um and already before the protesters that even uh, you know they even came to the capital you already had this um, um establishment narrative from the mainstream media and others that uh these guys were a bunch of far right uh, uh you know nut jobs uh you know going to pull uh, a january 6th style insurrection and blah 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 and whatever you think of the january 6th thing whether it actually you know it it, it, it was um you know if it, it was uh, a nothing burger or there was something to it i i, I don't it doesn't matter the point is that you know there was a lot of fear mongering at that at that point and i'm glad i um i spent that whole day walking through the protests and then then I came to the press conference and I wanted to hear you guys, uh, you know, and I wanted to ask you those questions. And I remember asking you, you know, so what do you say to people who say that this is what you're up to? And you were extremely honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the legacy media at that point, from my perspective, was largely trying to ignore it. So there was only Mm -hmm. a couple of stories about it. And yeah, of course, they were trying to smear and admonish us uh it it is what it is but it really didn't seem to get a lot of traction it was still it still didn't hit like the mainstream of legacy media it was still kind of flying under the radar you could tell they didn't know what uh to do at that point and how to deal with it and that's why you know we did that press conference which was two hours and 20 minutes long Mm -hmm. and then after you left we did an out me and tamara did an hour with rebel news Mm-hmm. And hoping that would get, you know, the full story out in our context. Uh, that never saw the light of day. I still don't know to this day why. Still haven't gotten yeah. an answer. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, I mean, listen, the legacy media, they can say whatever they want. I can say, you know, Justin Trudeau kills puppy dogs. Uh, That doesn't Mm -hmm. make it true, but that's what they do. And that's what they did to us. And I knew over time that if we remained peaceful, we stayed in that that, um, aura of positivity and, you know, had this community feeling about us, which we really tried to work on that's what ended up you know getting the bouncy castles and the barbecues and the the soup kitchens and all that sort of stuff right uh, there's one particular group in that I always remember this is the first group I met with after the convoy in the beginning of summer and end of spring that sort of time there's a, a group there was a group about a hundred of them from around the um uh Brantford area they had a barbecue just kind of a reunion barbecue and this is about 100 people that were helping each other because they were all parked together in Ottawa. So they were getting each other food, getting each other ice and water and stuff like that. And they were there for three weeks straight. And mm-hmm. uh, they formed very, very long and strong friendships. And it was just an honor to be invited uh, to go and meet with some of them at one of their regular barbecues. And that's kind of the whole spirit of yeah. what the convoy was, you know, whether it's you look at, I, I often talk about that mood of the, the Grateful Dead concerts when I was younger, or we see a lot of this on the left from uh, Burning Man in California. That was really, you know, if you like Burning Man, then you, you would have loved Trudeau's truck stop because it was exactly the same uh, tone and feeling around it. It was just, it was absolutely wonderful. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. There was no escaping it. Like, um, you know, I've said this many, many times. I went there looking for the bad stuff, the the Nazi flags and swastikas and <laughs> racists yelling at me, but I had the opposite experience. Uh, I was quite, uh, it was an atmosphere of love and um, you know, and, uh, and and it was extraordinary to experience that, uh, you know, as the pandem- pandemic uh, was raging on. But, you know, so, but uh, Benjamin, like, I want to ask you, like, what drew you into this movement in the first place? Like, what, uh, how did it all begin for you? I mean, for me, on a personal level, it started mm-hmm. long before then. Like, I had a business on Ryerson University's campus for many years. Okay. So I saw the creep of, uh, ex- in my interpretation, extremist postmodernism and subjectivism. I saw a change in real time over the years that I was on, my business was on campus. Mm-hmm. You could see that the student body and the faculty completely changed like there was some sort of brain disease or as Dr. Gad Sad calls it, the parasitic mind, that this brain disease was expanding across uh, the faculty and the student body, you know, students would come in completely normal after high school. My dad was a high school teacher, by the way, so I'm not, you know, new to uh, uh, high school students. And uh, they would come out, come in like completely normal students. And after four years, they would walk out uh, extremists, subjectivists, victimization. Uh, they would have, you know, green and yellow colored hair and they would have subscribed to one of the many, many of the diversity cults, and they would just be angry and have nothing but vitriol and hatred at the world. And it got worse and worse every year. My business was a, uh, we did graphics and printing, like, you know, not books, but like graphic printing. Right. And you could see the nature of the artwork that would come in uh, when we first, when we were first there to how it changed over the years. So, you know, I've been sensitive to this change because of that. Uh, I produce a podcast for Dr. Stephen Hicks, who wrote Explaining Postmodernism. 
it's one of the many conduits I had to Jordan Peterson was through Stephen and got a very good understanding of the underlying philosophy that's been driving this change in universities. And now we're at the age where this disease has now infected our politics. So now mm-hmm. all politics is run by these subjectivists. And if you understand their philosophy, the underlying philosophy, Justin Trudeau makes complete sense. And he's completely predictable, as is as are most of the people in the, the political class at this point. And this was just a natural evolution. At some point, there needed to be some sort of pushback. In 2018, Tamara and a number of others uh, tried to have a convoy in uh, to Ottawa. They got there. Unfortunately, they got involved with one of the political parties, which always ends the movement because of the, okay, now we hear you. We'll take over from now and go home. And it kind of, it's a little bit of that, but more complicated to what happened. And me and Tamara decided from the very beginning, when she called me on the 15th of January, uh, I said, we can't do what you guys did in 2015. No political parties. The only political parties we want to talk to are the ones who can drop the mandates and drop the arrive can. Mm -hmm. And she said, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're going to do. And I said, okay, great. And uh, I was on board. I just happened to also own a truck. I'm an owner operator and I drive, you know, to the this was my my salvation during the COVID years was to be able to get out of the country and drive to the U.S. And I wish more Canadians uh, could see what was going on in the United States versus Canada, because it was like coming back to a different planet. Every time I would cross the border, come back into Canada, it was com- a completely different world. Mm. But people who are here who are still walking around with masks. They wouldn't have seen that. And um, so, yeah, that it was just a natural progression. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, when you when you arrived in Ottawa, for example, did you um, did you realize that the convoy would be as momentous as it turned out to be? Um, Well, when when Tamara first reached out to me and I said to her, you know, how big do you want to make this thing? (laughs) And I was being a little, you know, coy. There's no question. And she said, well, let's make it big as it can. I'm like, well, I I mean, I have I can run a strategy that might work because I know a lot of uh, well-known people that I mm-hmm. I usually keep quiet about. And I said, but I can try. Let me see what I can do. If you want it to be big, I'll make it as big as I can. And I arrived in Ottawa. I went, oh, well, mission accomplished, I guess. <laughs> it was um, it was absolutely amazing to see just thousands of people all over the city from all different, you could tell, different political persuasions. One of the first groups of people I remember seeing, they had a peace sign with uh, tie-dye, wearing tie-dye, like I was going to a Grateful Dead concert. It was great. And then at the same time, you had, I took some pictures of it, actually, the the line of thousands of Quebecers who had been under Legault's lockdown crossed the border on foot and came up, I've mentioned this many times, came up to Parliament, Parliament Hill and just started meeting with and talking to truckers who were, many of them were from Alberta, Saskatchewan, or many of them as well, uh, we're Eastern European descent. And so they have uh, strong memories of what communism did to their families. And that's what motivated them. So it was just absolutely amazing to see how much love was in the air and everybody was wearing Canadian flags. And uh, it was the day after I arrived. I think it was the day after, within a couple of days. The first interview, the second interview that I did uh, it was with an independent journalist who was um, working for, I think, I-24 in France. 
she was a Quebecer. So we did this interview and she loved it. All the whole vibe about peace and love mm -hmm. and coming together despite our differences and all that sort of stuff. And after she, we ended the, um, the recording, I said to her, so, you know, now that I can ask you a question, how, how are you affected? And she said, you know, I, um, I used to be a separatist until I saw the trucks coming across can and I realized that we're all aligned with have, wanting our freedom back. And she said, I bought my first Canadian flag. I'm no longer a separatist. And that was really significant. You know, I, I think of, of our generation growing up around the angst of, you know, separatism in Parti Québécois to say, here's a journalist who was fully on board with them, who it just in a couple of weeks understood what it meant to be Canadian and for yeah. us to unify. It was, it was an amazing moment. Yeah, no, I, um, I that uh, that's such an incredible story. I'm reminded of this time when uh, uh, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said that Canada was a post-national state and there are no real identities and uh, and and whatnot, and we're all just doing our own thing. But I think uh, he was proven wrong, and I've written about this uh, during the protests. He was absolutely proven wrong on this because pretty much everybody I met and spoke to um, had a strong sense of who they were and why they were there and I was the opposite as you say and as you know and I've said this and many others have noted this as well it actually the protest brought the country together in a way that hadn't happened for a very very long time well I would like to quote Prime Minister Blackface Trudeau in saying <laughs> quote I am not the intellectual my father was end quote and that's one of the true statements he's made in his life. He is, uh, and not that I'm a huge supporter of uh, Pierre Trudeau, but even he was a, a, gi a gigantic intellectual compared to Junior. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get to Justin Trudeau in, in a bit because uh, on this actually um, and his uh, performance at the public inquiry uh, into the Emergencies Act just in a little bit. But, you know, just going back to those in early days of the protests, um, you know, one of my recollections from that time was that in the in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion, uh, you know, I always noticed that you were your messaging was always very consistent. It was about peace, love, unity. Um, you know, distance yourselves from uh, those who, you know, come here for other reasons. Uh, and, and, you know, and, you know, you always maintained calm and composure throughout that time. Um, how did you manage to do that uh, when there were so many moving parts and so much uncertainty about the about what the authorities would do? I'm just a naturally pretty positive person, and uh, I don't let things rattle me. Uh, I I quite enjoy conflict when people try to be uh, try to bring conflict to me. Like, okay, game on. Like, it doesn't really bother me. I don't let mm -hmm. my emotions. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll I'll get a little bit feisty in my conversations, but I don't actually get upset. And in fact, there are many times throughout the protests where you know Tamara didn't have a handler. Uh, I put a little bit of a moat around myself in that I went to the media room, which is my hotel room and my suite with my team and focused on anything, send it to me through Tamara or some of the other organizers that we appointed because I can't, I'm already dealing with 10,000 messages an hour on Twitter and online. I need to have some sort of whatever, but Tamara and I suggested to her, 
let's give you get you a handler, but she didn't want to because she's a very personal person. She's a very one-on-one communicator. And I can understand how that made her uncomfortable. But many times she'd come to my room and she'd be, she'd be like, oh, I just need to relax. I'm going for a mm-hmm. cigarette. And then she comes, she's like, can I have a hug? Let's have a hug, relax, calm each other down. Because at the end of the day, um, and maybe because I've lived in some very da- dangerous countries. And, you know, when you live in a neighborhood where you don't know if your neighbor is narcotraficante or they're paramilitary, <laughs> you learn that there's certain things to really be worried about. And I didn't think this was one. Mm. Uh, I thought, and the fact that I saw everybody had abandoned the the temptation to go into a state of anxiety and anger and came on board with peace and love. Um, once I saw Chief Slowly, in fact, on February 3rd, when he made the statement to, I think it was one of the Toronto news stations or whatever it was, uh, he said, uh, "This requ- they've been peaceful. This requires a political solution, not a policing solution. I thought, yes, they got it. They know we're here. We're peaceful. We're not here to be adversarial towards the police or even the government, just the policy mm-hmm. that we need to change of. Uh, that gave me a lot of hope. And despite the certain ramblings from people trying to get us all worried and say, oh, the police are going to raid tonight. You know how many times I said, the police are not going to raid. Just chill. Relax. Just relax. They're not going to raid. And um, so I just tend to maintain my composure under pressure. That's just how I am. Well, yeah, no, it was extraordinary. I I would... uh... You know, it, that would have just really—I would have had a nervous breakdown if I were, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if I were, if I'd been in your shoes. But I mean, it was so incredibly, um, so much going on. Um, you know, the whole three weeks—it uh, just got more and more intense. I think as time went on. But uh, but tell me, I mean, how do you think things have evolved since then? Are you are you satisfied with how things uh, played out? I think so. I think I've had the advantage of uh, since the convoy having to travel down south, both to, you know, I spoke at the at Bitcoin Miami, and then I went down uh, to South America to visit friends who I used to live with, uh, to relearn how to walk, uh, which was fun. You know, going in a wheelchair to Latin America isn't exactly the night, and it isn't exactly the March of Dimes, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I got to see uh, the effects not just within Canada but outside of Canada. And I think it, amongst the international political community, it's pretty much understood that Justin Trudeau is just a, a lame duck uh, leader. He has zero legitimacy at this point. And most Canadians, I think, are counting the days until he's um, until he's out of office, right? Um, I also, you know, I mentioned on, uh, I think it was on Russell Brand, I mentioned that my friends in, in Colombia who know nothing about Canadian politics, and I really don't get into politics when I'm down there, they used to say, oh, yeah, Justin Trudeau is a young leader, and he's so handsome and so smart, and now they call him uh, Cara Negra Federito, which means blackface little Fidel. Hmm. Uh, and it's not because of anything I told them. It's because they all saw what he did uh, in front of the entire world. And the interim chief, Police Bell, has got to be the least employable person in law enforcement that still holds, I don't understand how he holds a job, he single-handedly destroyed the reputation of policing around the world. I even said in a couple of interviews, I think it was on Newsmax or GB News, I said, this is the opportunity for the police force to push back against all the defund police nonsense and to show that they are good community 
advocates and they will work within the community, here's their opportunity. And Steve Bell took that and flushed it down the toilet in front of the entire world. So the incompetence is not just limited to Justin Trudeau. There's plenty of it to spread all over the world, right? So I think yeah. that's, and then also the fact that, remember, we were just, we had just head into hard lockdowns in Ontario. Uh, there were mask mandates. If you remember when we arrived in Ottawa, it was the first time people weren't wearing masks in large crowds within Canada. Um, and look how quickly that was reversed. All of a sudden, mm. the, the fears of COVID and the super spreaders, and it's amazing how that's all gone now, just immediately. Yeah, yeah, because we're following the science, right? So uh, <laughs> that's right. Trust um, the science is a religious statement. It's yeah, not a scientific yeah. statement. No, I know. You know, to be honest with you, at one point, I couldn't tell. I don't know if you know this. Uh, one of my favorite Twitter handles out there called Ottawa Gestapo. And uh, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I actually know him quite well. I couldn't tell the difference between what Ottawa Gestapo was tweeting and what <laughs> Ottawa police were tweeting. It was like almost identical. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, brilliant. yeah, I, it was it was crazy. I couldn't believe the police picked a side. Let's face it, they picked the side of the um, of the residents uh, in, in a sense. I mean, they shouldn't be picking sides for one thing. The law and order should be that's their concern. But what when I say they picked a side, I'm saying that they they, they Chief Bell was employing the same using the same language as the people who opposed the protest, right? Like calling Words it an occupation. Violence. Yeah. Uh, calling it an occupation and the language was incredibly charged and and of course he repeated the same talking points about violence and this and that and of course we know through the hearings none of that was uh, none of that could be proven there was really no evidence of it they were just hearing about these things from people you know these the this these these were not actually substantiated in any way uh, but you know well, let's I'll let's yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna, just to tell you what I think in addition to that, like I have yeah. a brother who's uh, in policing. He was very close to retirement and a couple of nephews that are in policing. So, and I have a bunch of friends who are cops who I was messaging with during the convoy. So it was just wild to ask them, what do you think they're doing now? Tell me what you think they're doing. And they're like, yeah, they're completely, they're a bunch of, I mean, they all knew slowly from Metro and they think they don't like him. They don't like Bell. Like I got all the kind of drama behind the scenes, what's happening in policing. Yeah. But the problem is we have this politicization of our police force and you saw it in real time in Ottawa. That's what these local police service boards are. They need to be abandoned. They need to be destroyed because the, the immunity leftist activists are the ones who hire the police chiefs. So then it becomes an entire politicized process. And I, I would argue you even saw that in the commission, because what did you see? You saw, um, what's his name? Uh, Patrick, Pat Brown, Pat Morris, sorry, who yeah. is head of the OPP intelligence, which is the largest intelligence mm -hmm. bureau in all of Canada is OPP intelligence, from what I understand. Yeah, he was and what did he say? He's been, he's been on the, yeah. that's right. And he's been on yeah. the force for 36 years. Yeah. So he he's he's getting close to retirement. He's like my brother saying, you know what? Now I'm going to say whatever I want. And what did he say? He said the truth. He said the lack of violence was shocking, something he'd never seen in all his years of of policing. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, you see the politicized police uh, people in policing and law enforcement who are applying for jobs in real time during the commission. For me, it was disgusting because I know the talking points that police officers are supposed to say 
to get promoted in policing now. And that's what you heard from Bell and all the others. So the younger ones were jockeying and slowly as well, clearly wants to be back in law enforcement or maybe politics. They were applying for jobs, but the few guys that were close to retirement, that's where you heard some honesty. And I think that's what was happening uh, within policing during the uh, during the convoy as well. So it's not that they were choosing um, the residents. No, they were choosing their political careers or opportunities in policing over their job of community policing and protecting people because their job as a police officer, the primary thing is they're supposed to de-escalate. That's it. But mm -hmm. the government on every opportunity, the federal government, provincial and municipal government escalated at every opportunity. It was quite disgusting. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a very important uh, distinction an interesting distinction that you make that there was a dis difference between people who are trying to still, um, you know, climb up the um, the ladder uh, uh, as far as their career was concerned versus people who were close to retirement and the latter was more inclined to speak the truth than the f than the former. Um, but, uh, you know, what? let's let's go to the emergencies act what what did, did you did you see it coming did you see that did you anticipate uh the trudeau government first of all using the emergencies act to break up the protests um and and did you also see the freezing of uh, bank accounts of some of the protesters no no it was actually it was interesting a little concerning during some of the testimony when people were saying that oh we knew the emergency measures act was going to come in like mm -hmm. uh, excuse me uh, perhaps you forget being there we were all shocked yeah. like what whoa, whoa, wait wait he's trying to do what his dad did come on he can't be serious like we were blown away yeah nobody thought because he had so many different things that he could have done first like first he, you know what they could have done could have talked to us they just could have come at like how many times through Tamara Leach's account, I invited Jerry Butts to come for coffee and it was genuine. I said, we're not going to attack you. Come just talk to us. Just, you know, be amongst us. Say hello. That's it. We'll have coffee. Let's, you know what I mean? But no, they didn't even have the courage to come for coffee. These are the hashtag leadership class, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they didn't, they didn't, um, have, they didn't look to have any mediators to reach out to us. They did nothing because most of the government, as I suspected, and I think we saw this in the commission, most layers of government were doing this. It's his fault, right? It's all like, no, that's Ottawa police. No, that's the PLT. No, it's the federal government. No, this, everybody was doing this, taking zero responsibility, which is what bureaucracy does. That's why I'm a small government guy, by the way. And um, I, I knew during it that this is probably what's going to go on. Just give it some time until they figure out who ultimately is going to be assigned responsibility to deal with us. And then we'll deal with them. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And it'll be great. We'll figure something out. Um, but it was shocking that they would go from trying to figure out who has to do what to implementing this for the for the Americans watching. Canada's version of martial law for some parking infractions. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about trucks that were parked illegally or at least in violation of a bylaw, but there were still so many laneways for emergency vehicles. Like you walked around, you saw a couple of the streets. You know, Wellington was particularly busy, but there were always 
Alaneway and all the other subsequent streets. I have pictures from in front of the Arc Hotel, from Tamara's hotel room, actually. Mm -hmm. I took a picture from downstairs. And what do you see? You see a couple of big rigs parked in the Green Pea parking and two open laneways. And that was two streets away from Wellington. That was where the Arc Hotel is. But this fake narrative, like all our, our media is all fake PR press releases at this point, trying to promulgate this fiction and sell it to people. Like, use your eyes. She'll show you the pictures and the videos. Mm. And luckily, you were there and you witnessed it in uh, in real time. And I'm glad you were. 